Welcome to Newsworthy with Norisworthy. Get ready for some awesome. Yes, you heard that. You know, time it is. We've got another. Say it again. Mailbag! Yep, we got another mailbag podcast coming up the end of November. So go ahead and email me a voice memo. Give me an audio file and I'll play your actual question on the podcast. Email it over to Luke at Luke Norsworthy and that'll be for our Mailman. Mail Mailman Mailbag Podcast. Coming up. I'm gonna post that I think. Uh, November 23rd, so have your mailbag questions in November 16th, and you can hear your wonderful voice on uh, the old podcast. All right, so mailbag podcast coming up the end of November, and uh, without further ado, here it is, Shane Hips. Yeah, this is me. Yep, yep, all right, thank you. Hold on, click it. There's something that makes that click. I don't know what it is. I just always hit the buttons. All right, friends, welcome back to the show. Today, my very first podcast in my new office, and I've got my old friend back on the show for the third time, Mr. Shane Hemps. It is the third. Hi. It is. How are you, Shane? Very well. Thank you so much for coming to my office. Glad to be here. Isn't this um, pretty exciting that we're face-to-face for the first time? I'm loving it. Yeah. I'm loving it. You, I, we, I told you this before we got on. I think you're like one of the first guests that I got on the podcast who just showed up because you're nice and said, I'll talk to you, strange person who's emailing me random things. I was very honored and glad to do it. I'm more honored now. <laughs> We're in Austin, Texas. You're working some down in Austin now. I am. Yep. And uh, so you got a new book that came out. It's called Cats Don't Bark. Now, uh, one of the things that you know about me is I'm always prepared. Like I always want this to be a worthwhile conversation. For you and for me. That's true. And for the people who listen to this as well. Yes. And so your title is Cats Don't Bark. And so in preparation for this last weekend, I, I spoke with a uh, leader in veterinary medicine to prepare. And I told him the title. And he said, you know, an interesting thing is, uh, until recently, many veterinarians treated cats like small dogs. And that's not how they should be treated. And so a unique twist in veterinary medicine is treating cats as cats, not as small dogs. Is that part of your preparation for the book? That Did that motivate you? Not even a little bit. No, I didn't even know that until just now. Really? I just learned that. Have you always been a cat person? Not at all, no. Are you a I'm, dog person? Absolutely, yeah. Then do you feel like you should have written a book that said, like, dogs, dogs don't, don't meow. purr? Dogs don't purr, uh, purr. or meow. Yeah, yeah I, I tried it, and it just didn't, it didn't wasn't as catchy. Did you try, like, fish, fishes don't uh, do anything? There were dozens of options. What, like, give me some other ones. I didn't, I didn't think of them, I just know they exist. <laughs> was, <laughs> so I just went with the first one that came. This was the title of a teaching I gave when I was at Trinity Mennonite. If you go on my website, you can find a teaching that says cats don't bark. Oh, believe me, and I've listened to every one of them. <laughs> Uh, you're, now you're mocking me. No. And I don't appreciate it. No, I've listened to more. I come into your place and you're going to mock me. <laughs> I've listened to more of your teachings than you listen to mine. That may be true, but I don't know for a fact. <laughs> so I still feel like. That was where the title came from. Okay, it's a good title. I still feel like I owe you like an apology because for those who don't know, you took over uh, the teaching mantle mm. at Mars Hill Bible Church. Yes. Uh, not to be confused with the other Mars Hill not to be confused. Did that ever happen to you? Like, I, you know, you show up at the wrong church, and you're like, I'm supposed to preach at March Hill, and you end up at the one in Seattle instead? 
me personally ending yeah. up in Seattle instead of Grand Rapids? I don't know. It's the same N- name. No. Never? No, they're not even geographically in the same universe. Do you, do you think <laughs> that when they were planted, they were like sister churches? Like same mom, just... No. Not even a little bit. No? No. Not close at all? Two completely different genetic breeds. Really? Like cats and dogs. That's where I was going. (laughs) Yeah. That's exactly where I was going. Uh So you took over the teaching mantle at the one in Grand Rapids. The one, that's right. The Rob Bell one, not the The Mark one. Okay. Is, is, did you, did you apply at both? And that was the only (laughs) one that you could get a job at? Yeah, I tried desperately to get the one with Mark Driscoll. He didn't like me very much. I don't know why. Do you feel like it's because he's more of a cat person than you're a dog (laughs) person or vice versa? Yeah, I I don't even, I don't think he just didn't like me. He didn't like you. Yeah. Hmm. That's unfortunate. (laughs) But uh, so like I was trying to say before you interrupted me, (laughs) I felt like I owe you an apology because when you took over teaching when when Rob left, some people, I'm not going to say who, like myself, like initially just like stopped subscribing to that podcast because we thought it was, it's not Rob anymore. Yeah, that makes sense. Do you? I stopped as soon as I was there. (laughs) Do you carry resentment towards like said group of people? No, because I don't know who those people are, so I can't resent them. (laughs) So like people don't come up to me and tell me what you just told me. I they they usually try to hide that information because it's hurtful. Oh, really? So, like, you saying that, now I have to deal with resentment, but I didn't have it before. <laughs> so, you offering that and then apologizing it was more hurtful than just just not talking about it. I, I feel like it wasn't supposed to be, like, a personal state. It was more, like, hypothetical because, like, sometimes I gain characters. Like, uh-huh. that's just part of an interviewing thing that uh, I learned. Got it. Yeah, no, I, I don't have any feelings towards people mm-hmm. listening to me or not. Yeah, it was okay. it was good either way. Now. What I do believe, and I feel like this would help whatever credibility that might have been lost by that miscommunication, is the fact that your previous book, Selling Water by the River. It's the one. was a great book. Thank you. I've recommended that book to more people. Thank you. Than I could ever imagine. It was. I'm glad. And I wish everyone who's listening to this podcast right now would just say, yeah, I want to go get that book (laughs) and read it. (laughs) So that'd be like. Six or seven people would be picking mm-hmm. that book up. My, well, my mom and my dad already have a copy of it. Okay, well then I guess we're down to like five, four. which is great. Mm-hmm. I'd be hey, I'm I'm glad with if I can just change one. Life. Well, the five, it's your two daughters and my three. That's right. That's who it is. Perfect. Yeah, awesome man. So, um, you're done in Austin part time now, mm-hmm. and um, but you're not preaching every Sunday. And so, can can we get? Is it cool? Would you do a live reading? A live reading of the book? Yeah. Yeah, sure. <laughs> like, I've got a p- page right here. Okay. Does it look like you've, I read it? Because you can tell. I kind of, yeah, you have like pages turned and stuff. Mm-hmm. You actually read the book. Are you surprised? A, a little, yeah. I'm I'm glad. Okay, I'm grateful. So, so I have a, um, a, a spot right here on page 85. It starts with Shane. Like, <clears throat> you, you read that part. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Shane. It would be a real loss for the church if you didn't become a pastor. You're a natural at preaching. That's it. Shall I continue, or is that all? I so <laughs> so. What do you feel like as a person who has caused shame to come on the church because you're not preaching anymore? <laughs> well, it'd be a real loss. Jim Brenneman, my mentor, is the one who told me that, and he was the pastor of Pasadena Mennonite Church. Mm-hmm. And it it uh, it was so. Um, t- I was so touched when he said that to me. I was so. Um, I didn't have any sense of strong identity and I had done only like three or four sermons and never felt terribly attached to the preaching art form. But I had really, really surprising feedback 
from people really? and, and particularly like mentors and and my homiletics professor and so i didn't even think of myself at all as a preacher and was really really surprised when i started to have this sort of um following not nearly the following that that rob would have had of course as you so kindly pointed out um <laughs> but uh but yeah so that was all no so i i i didn't really um and what was your question i don't even know what you asked i was asking why did you hurt the church so much <laughs> so you if people don't know your story i don't think i did hurt the church well, you, you mean by preaching I was hurting the church? No, That's possible. No, That's very possible. No, no. You were a gifted communicator. The, 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 your guy was saying that it would be a shame for the church if you're not preaching because you're gifted at it. Oh. And so people know your story like you were like a, a Porsche salesman or something. Yeah, I did advertising. Mm-hmm. Same thing. For so, Porsche. Yes. Um, the 911 version was really nice. So it good, was. good job on that. It was a good one, yeah. Um, yeah, way better than the 711 one. The Terrible. Slurpees, because the Slurpee thing is weird. But you uh, you did that, and then you said you're going to go to seminary, but you're not thinking, I want to become a pastor. That's right. Which is weird, because that's kind of like, it a, kinda it's weird. like pastor school. It is kind of weird, yeah. But at Fuller, at that time, there were so many different ways people went with their degree. I was just curious about theology and culture and wanted to study it. And I had <clears throat> an opportunity to do it, and so I did it before we had kids. And, and I spent three years trying to figure out why I was doing this. Hmm. Did you figure it out at the end? I did, yeah, eventually. And in fact, the stories are in this book. Mm-hmm. And you decide you're going to be a pastor. You're going to go to the, uh, the Mennonite Church in Arizona. Yep, Phoenix, Phoenix. Trinity, Trinity Mennonite. Which, uh, for the fans of the podcast, friends of the show, they know that that's the uh, home church of Zach Lynn, Zach and Holly. It is. Yeah, yeah, they were there. As far as I know. Yeah, as far as you know. Yeah. So uh, you're there, and you're not selling Porsches anymore. Uh-huh. And so... Part of this book, you, you kind of tell your own autobiographical stuff, because I, I heard another interview, you said that you have, um, what was the adjective you used to describe your, be- like a sketchy past? Or you mm-hmm. some adjective. Checkered. A checkered. Yeah. Which is a weird thing to say, because it's not like you were in prison that I know of. No, not it's really. It's just weird no. to say, I was a Mennonite pastor, I was a megachurch pastor, I advertised for cars. That doesn't, yeah. mean, it seems like you hate churches. That's like the, <laughs> why else would you say the word checkered? <laughs> Well, I was actually referring to my ad days, the oh. immorality of manipulating people into consumer culture. So that was what I was— Don Draper. Really had no, Yes, I was Don Draper. Mm-hmm. So I had no, no ill will towards churches. <clears throat> but did you—I mean, real talk here, real yeah. talk. Did you really have, like, a sense of guilt over advertising? Mm, not really guilt. I just didn't feel like it aligned with who I was and what I wanted to spend my time promoting. So hmm. um, the problem wasn't even promoting things. Like I, I got off Porsche. I was even on Casino at one point, Harris what? Casino. Was it a good casino? <laughs> no, it was terrible. <clears throat> and I had a really hard time with what I was doing. And then I ended up even on an anti-smoking campaign and like something you would consider positive. And I realized that all of the techniques I was using were still highly, highly manipulative techniques. And hmm. so I was trying to find a way through this that still left some of my own integrity intact. And that's why I left. I mean, I just didn't feel... Hmm. It was sort of the the fundamental question, if you died tomorrow, would you be doing what you were made for? And I just felt like, no. Hmm. (laughs) I don't think I'm contributing what I want to contribute. And that's not to dismiss people who are in advertising or do it. Good friends of mine do it beautifully, and there's no problem with it. It it wasn't so much about the immorality. It was about the lack of alignment with who I was. With who you were. Do you ever feel like as a pastor speaker that you were manipulating people in a way that uh, didn't align with your vision there? Always a possibility, yeah. Yep. 
Hmm. You have to kind of keep that awake in yourself. And, you, and and the difference between <clears throat> what I would call manipulation and influence is your attachment to outcomes. So I would work hmm. rather tirelessly or I was very conscious of the question, how attached am I to the outcomes that I most want? And I found that the less attached I was to the outcomes, the more freedom that provided me and the people who heard me. Really? So that's different, though, than in advertising where the outcomes are the entire metric by which you measure everything you do mm. and must adjust accordingly. So that's a lot of what it is for me. So the stuff that I was concerned about outcomes was, am I clear? Am I engaging are people feeling connected? No. That's different than, will they go out and do what I want them to do? Hmm. And I think a lot of pastors are trained to basically say, unless the people are doing what you want them to do, you're failing. And my response is, just offer your gift and divest yourself of outcomes because that kind of freedom is not only good for you, it's honoring to them. Yeah. And it releases the capacity or the impulse to need to manipulate or cajole which is what a lot of pastors feel they need to do. Yeah. So that that was the distinction that I learned for myself in the pastorate was, what is the difference? I'm still influencing. I'm still giving a message. I'm still wanting to argue a point of view. And that was the difference, just a divestment of outcomes. That's so that's so interesting. <clears throat> One of the things that uh, I've you know, had conversations about with a lot of people in the, the church world is, like, we aren't responsible for the end result. We're responsible for the the process mm -hmm. and that we can be responsible for how prepared we are and how uh, how much effort we put into the, the foreground of the work we're doing but ultimately the outcome is is so in, intertwined with people's free will and their choices to do things and who they want to be that it's just it's it's it'll kill you if you try to let that be the uh, the ultimate determining factor for your success yep and so you said something earlier that in your preaching, it was the goal was for that, or I don't know if the goal, but the way you set it up in your church was that it was the first word, but not the last word on the subject, mm -hmm. which seems to, in a lot of ways, concretize mm -hmm. this idea that you're not in charge of the end result. Yeah, first word, not final word. Yeah, that sounds nice. That that's the what I think the role of the preacher should be. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know that most churches theologize that or see it, or even parishioners see it that way, but that was always the way I saw it, which allowed me also the freedom to explore. Because I could say, this is only the first word, not the final word. And this is an, uh, something I want to explore. And I'm curious. <clears throat> and then the main thing is love. Because love by nature is free and it offers choice. And that's why you have to be divested of outcomes. Hmm. Because people need the free choice to decide. Do I want to listen to this guy or do I want to do what he's suggesting? Or do I? what are the implications for me? And yeah. Do you think people were comfortable with that idea? That... The, the pastor is not the, f the final word on everything? Uh, Trinity Mennonite? Very. They were probably the ones who would have told me that before I would have. Mm -hmm. uh, at Mars Hill, it was mixed. There was a number, some handful of people who were used to the Reformed tradition where there's a mantle, a kind of a, you are the voice of God. And I'm not the voice of God. I know you think I am, but I'm. Not. it turns out I'm not. That's weird. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, because I, at this like I'm in a new new job. Like this is yep. my new office, and I'm trying to get people to to think that I'm the voice of God. You are, so I yeah. get everything kind of my way. Um, <laughs> I don't think it's going to work, though. I don't think so. No, yeah. that's a shame. That's a real shame. <laughs> I'm kidding, new church people. Hi, friends. I'm I'm not serious <laughs> about that. Okay, so in your book, Cats Don't Bark, you're trying to get people to live out their true self. Our 
Is that fair? That's part of it. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah we're trying to get there. Sure. And and part of the idea <clears throat> is that there is the one voice, true voice, the voice. Yeah, I on call NBC. it. I call it the one voice. Is that well, the, the subtitle of the book? Is a guide to knowing who you are, accepting who you're not, and living your unique purpose. So that kind of gives like the yeah, I like that the payoff. But there was the the, <clears throat> the line, the the voice thing. Yep, the which, one voice, and I capitalize it. Yes, one and, voice, and that's not based off of that 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 singing show, right? Not to no, my knowledge, nothing to do no, with that. The voice is different than the one voice. One that's voice, right. yeah. We're talking about different things. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, um, like you listen to that, and a lot of this is the idea, like if you you find out who you are and live out of that. Now. So obviously the book is written for feline people. Like cats is a big part of your your, your marketing group. No, no. And no. so if it no, seems that's like, not what this that's is true. for. Let me, that's true. But if you are an existentialist who's also a dog lover, it seems like this book would not be for you, because the existentialists <laughs> believe if you strip everything away, there's nothing there. It's all a construct. Yeah. Whereas the humanists are going to say there's something deep down inside, and if they love cats. That's your yeah. market audience. Yeah. And well, this is why Pete Rollins is not in my market. He's not? Because he's an existentialist. He doesn't believe in any of this stuff. There's no way he likes cats or dogs. No, he doesn't like pets. He doesn't, he doesn't like anything. Pets, no. He's going to deconstruct joy. That's right. He would say it's it's all a social construct. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So um, so let's let's really talk about that. So the difference in humanism is the idea that there's something inside of us, like our true essence, Merton's, you know, our true self, whatever. Mm-hmm. Some would say... It's all construct. Why? Why do you make the humanist kind of move? And maybe you wouldn't say self-identify as a humanist, but yeah, I don't know. Some of I, us would would put that in that category. Yeah, I'm sure people could put me in all kinds of isms that, and they'd be right about it. That those are not sort of conscious choices of mine. They're not things that I sat and thought about. <clears throat> this is really born of my of two things: my own experience of working with lots and lots of people mm-hmm. who seem to repeatedly ask the question, am I doing the thing I'm supposed to be doing? And and if I am, am I doing it as well as I could? Mm-hmm. And if I'm not, how do I find what's next? And those questions keep going. And that's true whether you're talking professionally. It's true if you're talking in relationship. Did I marry the right person? Should I marry this person? Should I get a divorce? Shouldn't I get a divorce? Should I do that? And, and for many different traditions, those answers are not, are already prefixed and you can't ask that question. But my interest was always to let people ask any question they needed to and explore all of the implications of it without the threat of having to make a decision. And so that gives us the freedom to explore and test who it is we really are. Because at the end of the day, your desire is who you are. At the seat of your heart is a longing for something. What makes you, Luke, unique is your preferences the way you experience the world, what you like, what you don't like. There's no one else on the planet, and there's no one else who's ever lived on the planet who likes, who dances, who sings, who eats, who enjoys, who appreciates the way you do, who likes to wear what you like to wear, who likes to listen to what you like. All of that Mm -hmm. is uniquely what makes you you, and all of it combines together to create a life, a life path. Mm -hmm. And so most of what I did was born of my own search, which was checkered all over the map and probably will continue to be and so um my passion became how do i find the tools to help me navigate these sorts of impulses and changes and to discern between what is what i would call a kind of a the white noise of all of the imposter voices the the non-native kind of immigrant voices that try to tell you to want things that aren't native to you and how do i hear and listen to the native voice the the one that's indigenous to my soul 
that is there planted and guiding me. Mm -hmm. So whether that's a belief that it should exist or shouldn't exist or was given by God or isn't or as a construct or whatever is irrelevant to me because it's there in every person I've ever met. So even if it's a construct, it's still relevant because you're still forced to ask it. Yeah, and, and you still have to live out of it. And so you talk about living out of that instead of the white noise. I think else somewhere in the book you talk about that being your ego and, and not wanting to live out of that. And so you have these competing voices or forces inside of us that are, you know, one's pulling one direction, one's pulling the other. And if we're trying to live out of that voice inside of ourselves, the voice can sound a whole lot like the other thing very easily. So what are the ways that we choose this is the one true voice or God or whatever language you want to use instead of the other? Yeah, well, there are a lot of different techniques and practices and and those are listed in i think it's chapter four i don't know what chapter it is now that i think about it but let me look it, it's all right i got the book in front of me <laughs> uh the there are lots of practices to get there but the first one is to under just to simply start with an understanding that the desires that you have need to be examined because some of them are not yours mm -hmm. they are imports from other places. They come from your parents, your spouse, your children, advertisers, your congregation, your teachers, your books you read, your Bible, your whatever. Mm -hmm. All of these people want you to want something. Okay. They have an agenda for you. I want you to want to spend more time with me. I want you to preach on that. I want you to act more like this. I want you to stop acting like that. I w all of those things are not native to you. Hmm. So your own ego has desires. So when I talk about the white noise, the white noise is the aggregate collection of all of the various messages, both internal, biological impulses, ego impulses, external parental pressure, whatever it is, that drowns out. The way white noise functions is it drowns out other noise. You can't hear mm -hmm. the one thing you need to hear, which is the small, still voice within. And that I call the one voice. And this is the one true voice that is yours and yours alone. You're the only one who can hear it. Others can help you hear it, but you're the only one who gets to hear it. It is a gift given to you in my belief system by God, but you don't have to believe that. It's a gift given to you. Following it is your gift to us. Mm -hmm. And even if people don't thank you for it, it is given to you for a reason. Your job is to follow it. And that takes both the capacity to hear and the courage to follow it. And then the commitment to kind of see it through. Okay. And these are not always easy things for any of us. Yeah. Okay, so let's let's think about the practicality of what that looks like. Okay. I want to figure out who I am. And so uh, years ago when you and I first met, it was probably 19... No, it wasn't. It was like <laughs> two years ago, right? <laughs> so two years ago, I think, okay, I want to talk to these people who are interesting to me and that have influenced me. And so... I hear that inside of me, mm -hmm. and then so a few months later, you get an email from me, and mm -hmm. you say, yeah, I'll talk to you. Mm -hmm. And so there are other things that I've had in my mind that I thought, oh, mm -hmm. that would be fun to do. Mm -hmm. I tried to They don't work out. Yes. And so this one seemed to have worked out for me. It's worked okay. out well. And that was like very uh, like Trumpish, like I've been very successful. That's okay. I've been, I didn't mean to you say have it that been, way. And you should be grateful. I, I'm, I'm you grateful. Enjoy it. I'm grateful, but I don't mean to sound pompous well, like that. I'm promoting a book, so that's pompous. <laughs> <laughs> that's very true. That's true. Uh, so, do we have to just try a bunch of these things out to determine what's so right? Let me let me give you a small practice, a very simple one. Anyone can do anytime, no matter what. Mm -hmm. And it's a it's a very helpful one because it's the mechanics of this practice 
apply to any situation you're trying to make a big decision around or you're trying to find guidance. Okay. <clears throat> what I would encourage people to do is any given moment, whatever desire comes up for you that is not, let's say, illegal or dangerous or hurtful to others, okay. <laughs> let's say generally positive desire, small. We're talking like, I think I want to go see a movie or I want to go take a nap mm -hmm. or I want to go walk on a beach or I want to go call a friend or I want to... Whatever it is. Okay. I want to get a haircut this afternoon. You want to get a haircut Let's this do afternoon. that one. If you feel that desire, mm -hmm. follow it to the best of your ability. Okay. So any desire that is in your control, follow it. Whatever it is. Don't doubt it. Don't question it. Don't do it. Just follow it. Okay, but okay. Follow it uh -huh. with no expectation of the outcome. No expectation of the outcome. Mm -hmm. So if you say... I want to start a podcast because I want to be the greatest podcaster that ever lived. Fine, but don't have any expectation. Uh, I want to get a haircut because I'm hoping that, um, you know, I might be more attractive to my wife and then mm -hmm. she'll want to be intimate with me. No, no, no don't expectation. Do no expectation of any outcome of any of it. Just follow it. And after you follow it to completion, do it again. This, what I'm describing, mm -hmm. sounds so basic and so obvious. It does. But what I'm telling you is very few of us actually do it. We talk ourselves in and out of the things that are going on all the time. We don't trust this gut. Now, why do I have you do it on the small things? Because the small things have almost no real consequence, which means they're not shrouded in mystery. They're not covered in fear. There's no great consequence. There's no huge miss. And so when you begin to practice that and you start to trust that sort of guidance, that inner guidance around what it is that I want next— that same desire is the same desire that drives you for the really big ones, for what job I'm going to take or whether I'm going to write a book or whether I'm going to do this or whether I'm going to marry that person, whatever it is, the big ones that have huge consequences, these are the ones that start to get easier because you've exercised the muscle hmm. more and more and more and more. The more you exercise that muscle in an ongoing way without any big expectation and without all the big consequences attached you get really good at listening for guidance and when the big decision comes that guidance isn't so confusing anymore mm -hmm. you've learned to listen bef between the lines of the white noise and the one voice so that's just one example okay so i'm thinking of okay the we call it the little things practice the little things practice i like that the the little way like Teresa of Lisieux, the little flower catholic lady she's great um so before i did the podcast though i thought i'm gonna write a novel Mm -hmm. And so I wrote a novel. Great. And it's awful. <laughs> like it it like if you read No like, expectation of the outcomes. But I thought okay, I want to write a novel. Are you done writing that novel? Mm -hmm. Good. Now what do you want to do? Not write a novel again. Then don't write a novel. But some might say so What well, do you want to do instead? I want to do a podcast? Great. I, and and then when you're done with that, then what do you want to do? <laughs> you know, it, so just, this is you just keep you don't have to worry about it. You but, don't have okay, to but these are all like these are all like nice. Okay, the worst thing that happen <laughs> if you write a book, it just never nothing becomes of it. Yeah. Right? That's not the end of the world. Of course not for me. But what if it was for me? I say, I want to quit my job and become a legitimate novelist, and I've got three kids and a wife to to provide for. Mm -hmm. If I'm tr like this voice might feel like, hey, that's what I want to do. Mm -hmm. I want to follow it. I want to give up the shackles of my day job and I want to go follow my heart and, and do that. Mm -hmm. But that seems like a terrible decision for someone who has made the commitments I've made. I've got a family to provide for. You know, this is where I am. People rely on me. How can I just listen to that and go? Uh, you, you can if that's, if you have no expectation of the outcome 
and what you're doing you have control over. So, for example, if you say, I'm going to marry that woman over there, well, you don't have control over that. So you're free to try and do that all day Mm -hmm. long. As long as you know you don't have control over that, great. So part of what we're talking about is, do you have control over this decision? So going and getting a haircut, you have full control over. Mm -hmm. Starting a podcast, you have full control over. You don't have control over whether or not people will listen. You don't have control over whether people will like it. You don't have control over any of that. So what you're talking about is the what is the perceived limit of responsibility. What okay. are my responsibilities in the world? Mm-hmm. To my family, to myself, to my body, to my spirituality, whatever it is, I have responsibilities. Yeah. There are no limit to the number of ways you can honor those responsibilities. This is the problem that people get in, in that they have, which is because I have these responsibilities, I can't therefore blah blah blah. Okay. Maybe. There are, it depends on what level of commitment you have. So your commitment is measured by the degree to which you're willing to suffer for something. Oh, yeah. You got a great line about that in the book. I do? Awesome. Yeah, you do. You said (laughs) like something about if if you're no longer willing to suffer for something, it's time to make a change. It's an indication your commitment is waning. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So so the the, uh, Jim McNeish was the one who gave me that line. It was brilliant. Thanks, Jim. Yeah, and he – so in any case, that is a great indicator. So I know plenty of people who are, quote-unquote, starving artists. Well, the starving part of that is their willingness to suffer for the thing they love and are committed to. Are you willing to do that? No. Well, then it's just an indication it's not something you desire that much. You desire something else more. So for you, you may desire security more. And you call it responsibility, but you can actually be responsible for other people and not make as much as you're making now. You may not like it. You may not have the car you want or your wife may have to work or whatever it is that you don't like. That's Mm -hmm. fine. So the issue is, what is your willingness to suffer what is your wife's willingness to suffer also a a great question she's not willing to suffer that way then you have other choices you have to make but my point is to it gets back to you have control over it Mm -hmm. it's a desire for you and you have no expectation of the outcomes Hmm. and start really small everybody likes to go to the really big stuff like i want to write a novel and quit my job first get really good at knowing when you're going to get a haircut and when you're going to eat pizza (laughs) or a salad and then follow it and just get really good at it. Mm-hmm. I so, need to take a nap. I want to take a nap, but I have so much to do. Follow the nap then as far as you can until it's done and then repeat. Now I feel motivated to work on my sermon or whatever it is. Yeah, so you you seem to have this uh, this attitude that just listen to whatever and that you don't want to label things as you know, like good or bad. It just is what it is. Yes. Which is very <clears throat> new agey to me. Like I totally new age. Right and yeah. wrong. It's like completely bad. Black and white. Uh-huh. True and false. Uh-huh. You know, that's how I roll. Yes. But you don't want me to roll like that. Not, you want a different n- not in this work, no. So the first thing I want you to be clear on is there is a big, big, big difference between a desire and a decision. Okay. So when we're talking about desires, my interest when I work with people is to uncover all of them. Even the quote unquote dark dirty, nasty ones that you shouldn't have. Those are great teachers. They are instructors. They are teaching you things. Sometimes your darkest desires, the ones that you think you shouldn't have, are actually showing you something beautiful about yourself, a part of you that wants something. So you can take things like lust. Lust is a desire for connection, for contact. The, 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 how that desire gets expressed, wh- how you act on that, that might cause your life to be a lot more complicated. But, but <laughs> Just the, a little bit. But the desire itself, when you decide to awaken it and see it for what it is, whatever it is, you know, that's just one example, 
it actually is there to guide you. Now, make sure you're clear there's a difference between what you want and a decision to act on what you want. Because when you decide, then you have the cost and consequence that comes with that. But even then, I actually try to take out most of the judgment of your decision, too. In part because I don't think God spends a lot of time worked up about that. I really don't. I think God is immensely loving and quite capable of walking with you in whichever choice you make. Even the ones that your entire community will shun you for, God will not. There is nowhere you can go in this world that is outside of God. So so there's lots and lots of room, that, lots and lots that's of freedom. That would be a good sermon. <laughs> I think the church really misses that. Yeah. Like, that would be great on a Sunday. So that that's why I don't have a lot of judgment about whatever it is. And look, it's your life too, not mine. So whatever choice you make, I, I like to frame it instead of um, good and bad, I like to frame it in terms of complicated and simple. So there are certain choices you can make that will make your life very, very complicated. Yes. And there are other choices you can make that will keep your life very, very simple. I have no stake in which one you do. I love you either way. God loves you either way. But this one's just going to be really complicated. As long as you're okay with that, take it on, man. <laughs> but don't, don't you have like some sense of obligation like, hey, you're making a choice that you don't see what's really behind it. And so you're making a choice that's going to make things really complicated. It's going to hurt people. Uh, there's going to be ramifications that really have a deleterious effect on someone's life that you should say, no, no, that's a bad choice. Don't do it. I would, I would certainly point out to them, here are the, here's the set of consequences you have before you. So you have a choice. This choice is going to lead to a series of dominoes, mm -hmm. and this is what it looks like. You have another choice over here that looks like that. What I know about humans is God made us free, inherently free to choose. So why on earth, if I am not the creator, do I think I can convince you to behave the way I think you should behave? You will naturally resist every effort I make and the whole community makes yeah. to try to get you to behave the way I want you to. Every time I've interacted with people who are faced with very big decisions, one of which is clearly going to complicate their life immensely and one that will make their life simpler, and I present it in that way and from the place of either way is okay with me, I don't have a stake in which way you go as long as you know what you're getting yourself into. They, I can't even tell you, nine times out of ten, they make the simpler choice. As long as I give them freedom. When I try to cajole people to going the way I want them to, they're more likely to work against it. What, what is it about cajoling, as you call it, that makes people work against you? I guess some of us have a polarity response, which is <clears throat> people tell me not to do it. That makes me want to do it. <laughs> it's, just a, it's just a thing ba baked into us. When I sense that you need me to make a certain decision to validate you, you know, like... The reason that I need you to argue you out of that decision, Luke, is so that, A, you listen to me, therefore I feel more validated, and, and B, I've therefore saved you from the, the flames of hell, which makes me a savior. If you could do that for me, that'd be great. Most people don't like to do that for others. Like, I don't, I'm not going to make a decision about my life to validate you. So the best thing I can do is take me completely out of the equation and let them make the full free choice that they have. That's the way that I relate. Really? Yeah. And I, I, I have never, I have, yeah, I can't think of an example. That's why I'm like nine times out of time. I, I can't think of an example where someone went the way that was worse for them. But I, when I give them the freedom okay, to do that. But as a pastor, there's plenty of times I'm sure you experienced where someone that you care about is making life decisions. And you're like, if you keep on doing this, it's going to continue to get worse and worse, and they can't get out of it. This is the whole premise of AA. 
and Al-Anon, which is you have to let people hit rock bottom in AA for them to actually turn around. It's actually your efforts to intervene that are causing them to stay helpless. So this is why I don't, I, I just sort of feel like I am not Jesus, nor am I one of his close relatives. And if I think that I'm some savior who can actually help people, boy, I've got to take on the responsibility of the savior without any of the resources of the savior. I don't have his capacity. And so that's why I'd rather just be a fellow human, even if I have the mantle of pastor or doctor or lawyer or whatever it is where we grant people special powers. I just think the podcaster, big one, Um, just more human. So just, you, just be a human. Okay, so it changes the dynamic in the relationship. Sure. And you, you talked about what was your metaphor. Mm-hmm. It was the A-frame versus mm-hmm. the H-frame. That's right. Where you don't rely too much on people because that's like a TP and you're going to TP on over. Yeah. That, so the, I don't think that was your metaphor. Would you like to, <laughs> if you want, the, is the book out already? Yeah, it's out. So you can't go back and put that in? I can't, no, okay. unfortunately. Okay, so the relationship you're causing or encouraging people to be in less dependent upon someone else seems to be what that metaphor is going towards. Yeah, one of the words that gets used in like systems theory is called fusion, emotional fusion, which that basically means my emotional well-being or balance depends upon what you do think or say. Hmm. So if I live my life where my emotional well-being is dependent upon what someone else thinks does or says then i will be in a fused emotional relationship and that will be a contributor to the white noise because who they are and what they do and how they think you will try to change and just who you are to make sure that they start behaving in ways you like better really and so this is what happens in the most intense one which is marriage and it, it, it takes immense maturity you know i i am not the the master of this i am a fellow student in this, which is the capacity to say, what does it mean to stand fully on the, on my own two feet emotionally and allow my wife to be whatever it is she needs to be and to become curious about whatever it is she's going to be and not try to control what she's going to be so that I feel better. And that is not for the faint of heart. <laughs> it takes <laughs> a lot of awareness, courage, mm. and kindness to begin to develop that kind of differentiation i had this guy that i worked for when i was in grad school and uh, he would say luke you're not responsible for your wife's feelings he, he's also divorced and single now so i don't know if it's that good of advice or not well, he might have learned a lot in the divorce <laughs> <laughs> so er, uh what's his name friedman erwin Friedman uh-huh has yep. a the, failure of nerve yeah his book yeah. uh the well it talks about the well differentiated leader like yep. you have to be separate from your organization or you can't really lead it separate is different you don't have to be separate you have to be emotionally independent. Okay, I didn't so, have the word right. So this is no, this is an important difference because some people do what's called cut off and think they're being differentiated and healthy, mm-hmm. and instead all they're doing is saying this relationship is causing me so much anxiety I'll just exit. Hmm. That's not differentiation. Differentiation is the ability to stay in contact and maintain your own emotional center. So this is why the image I use of an A-frame, which is you think of an A, and at the apex is that's where all of the pressure goes. The contact is dependent upon these two points. Or an H-frame, which is the H. All of the weight is on the two people. You can do this physically if you actually take two people and have them like 
clasp hands and take want, steps back. Do we you want to do, do this? We can do this later, maybe after the cast. So oh, okay, yeah. What happens is you see you'll feel immense amount of pressure as you keep walking back. You play this balance game where you clasp hands and you walk as many steps as you can back to get as close to the ground as you can. Mm-hmm. It's a great core workout, and yeah. and it's very demanding. And if one of you steps out, the other falls. That's the emotion. That's the physical metaphor of what happens in these relationships. Versus if I walk up and shake your hand, we're in contact. But all of my weight I carry and all of your weight you carry. And if you don't, if you cut off my hand or we are not cut off my hand, if we stop shaking hands, my balance isn't destabilized. Hmm. And so that's the type of healthy relationship. In theory, yeah. That's where we should we should go for. Yeah. Very few of us do that perfectly. None of us. But well, that's the idea. Speak for yourself. Yeah, right. (laughs) Okay. You talked about uh, in the book that you recommend people use the Enneagram. Uh Is that a tool that you use? Because you do. uh professional coaching mm-hmm. is that what it's called yeah executive coaching executive. leadership development is that stuff, better yeah. than professional is executive like the one step up i don't know yeah i mean ex- the, it's just the word know, to make me sound important you you sound important <laughs> to me that's <laughs> all it is so uh enneagram so that's been helpful immensely what yeah. uh can i ask what number you are i'm a three with a two wing mm. so everyone at home know that he's acting this whole time this whole time i'm a liar but I'm but he's li- he's lying because he wants to be friends with you it's, i just want you to like me that's it that's and all. so that's why you're putting this front on for those of you who know the enneagram yeah that was a very insider joke right there i, I imagine your audience knows something we've had it. we've had some enneagram conversations on here all right roars talked about it a little bit what's your type you want to guess you're a three i thought i was a three you're a seven but I'm a seven. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, one or the other. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I thought I was a three. And then Dr. Warren, he, he said, you're a seven. Right? <laughs> yeah. Well, he would know. <laughs> yeah, he was right. So I'm a seven. So which means uh, I'm in this conversation as long as it's fun. Exactly. And then I'm gone. Exactly. But so your personality type, my person, as a seven, like it, I want to just go to the next thing that's fun. Yes. And so for me, hearing the true voice would be the white noise might be the thing calling me away from adversity and to run to happiness and shallow things instead of the the complexity of life mm-hmm. is that would, would you say that's a fair way to mix those the enneagram and this metaphor you're working with um not necessarily i i think i i think the reality is these are just two very different things and what you're describing isn't so much a type and whether or not it can be in a healthy relationship you're describing a level of functioning and any type can have a low level of functioning or a high level of functioning. Okay. And in any type or any expression, you're going to have people who are self-contained, have level high levels of self-mastery, the ability to yeah. respond in a grounded way rather than react or overreact. Um, and you're going to have people at any type who are at low levels of functioning, highly emotionally fused, overreact, unable to maintain their emotional balance unless other everyone around them works People who can't control themselves try to control others or, you know. Yeah, yeah. But but what I was trying to say is that for me, the work of differentiating between the true voice and the white noise means understanding the the way that displays in my personality type. Oh, yeah, 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 for sure. Sevens are are very, very capable of doing the work of following their next fun thing that they want to do. That's a natural thing for sevens. Where they have a harder time, and it's, candidly, it's one of the reasons I offer that kind of practice, because I know the other practices are more like centering practices and getting kind of clear and meditative and all that. And there are certain types that just, it is unbelievably difficult for them maybe, to do that. Maybe that's why when I was reading, I was like, I don't know what I feel about this, because inside of me, I know that's very easy for me to do. Yeah, it's and, easy. and 
that's the reason why any one of those techniques, some of them will simply reinforce your pathology and not be as useful. Hmm. And the other ones will actually deepen you. And, and so, for example, there are certain types like nines that can sit on lily pads for days and they get into this inner sanctum and it's actually a version of escaping yeah. rather than a, a form of development. So their work is more engagement based. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why I have a variety of techniques because they all have to kind of work differently. Yeah. So, yeah, if you're attracted to one of the techniques because it's just so easy, then you might want to try the more challenging ones. Uh, that's a good suggestion. Okay, so let me ask you a question about the language choice you use in the book. Mm-hmm. So you, we, we've been talking about the the true. I always get the one true voice. The one voice. Can I? I want the word true in there. You can. Ha- you can put it in there. The one voice. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the one voice. You have a little section there in which you talk about why you call it the one voice. Uh-huh. Um, some might hear that and go, "Why don't you just call it God? Mm-hmm. Why? Why wouldn't you just call it God? <laughs> what? 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 You can call it God. Why? Well, I want. I say that in there. I know, but <laughs> tell them why. Tell us why it's okay to. I, well, for for one reason, God is has an immense amount of baggage. It has more baggage than a seven forty seven. It's it's mm-hmm. got so much misunderstanding and so much attached to it that um, I find it's it's a barrier rather than an aid most of the time. The other re- reason I don't say it's God is because God is so unbelievably vast. There is nowhere God is not that it's basically too vague. So I'm talking about a very specific aspect of the one who created you or the source of everything. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about a very specific aspect, which is your guidance. Mm-hmm. And that is from the divine as far as I'm concerned. But um, not everyone has that belief and nor do they need that belief in order for this to be useful. Yeah. So I work a lot in the corporate world and mm-hmm. this is a book that should be useful for them too. In the corporate world, yeah. And they need to not have those things interfere. They need yeah. to be able to, to listen and keep moving. That's good, that's good. Because uh, sometimes, I don't know if you've ever tried this before, but if you're down by a river, it's hard to sell water. A lot, very by, hard to sell water by a yeah. river. Do you know, if, Thank you for that. For, for those at home, he literally just looked over my shoulder <laughs> on my bookshelf and saw where that book is. And I winked at it. He, 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 I gave it a little shooter. He did, at his own book. Because it's a good book. <laughs> this one is too, Cats Don't Bark. And um, there's, there is one story in there that's a little bit problematic. Okay. Do you want to hear? Can I? Yeah. I don't mean to just like stomp on your parade. Yeah, I don't yeah, mean should. to do that. You should. I've but we're been. friends. We have history. Mm-hmm. We go back mm-hmm. years. So there's a story about a gentleman who uh, you're coaching. I don't know. It depends on what story you're talking about. Just say yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you're coaching. Story I'm don't coaching. judge me. I'm not. I felt judged right no, there. No, that was a clarifying question. It felt very judgy. Okay. So you. <laughs> my apologies. It's okay. I'm sensitive, though. It's my office, my rules. <laughs> It's, this isn't Burger King. Uh, this is my way. So you're coaching this gentleman, and he's sorry. I don't know what's happening. I mean, I feel like this just is, get to it. Okay, people, people okay. don't want to have to fast forward this part. It's that's hurtful. That was hurtful. I, that was just that, that was judgmental. That came out of a very dark place, <laughs> like a very very evil place. Yeah, very a frame. Yeah, you know? totally. Yeah, completely. <laughs> so there's this gentleman who you you coach and say, I know there's a lot of. Uh, lying and deceit in your life you need to get out in the open what you've done it might cost you your career it might cost you your marriage and he listens to you and he does you know that's what i'm talking about it's in there and so he does and he although i didn't think i said that to him whatever it happened he did that he got there yeah it would be good advice if you did say that's not how i would have said it but yeah you would have said the path is wide i would say you have a choice yeah (laughs) it always begins with you have a choice here are your choices See, this is Which why I, do you like? 
That's why I'm not an executive coach. I don't, <laughs> the river is deep, and you may swim wherever you'd like. You may skin the knee if you stay here, though. So you say the options, and he, he comes out, and he says what it is. And it, it does cost him. cost him uh-huh. a career. cost him his family. Yep. But he feels good because it's all out in the open. Yes. Why don't you just say his name, then? If it's all out in the open, why did you not say his name? Because in the book, you're like, this guy... But you're hiding his identity, even though the whole point in the story is that he needs, he felt better when he had it out in the uh, open. There are parts of that story that would he you doesn't like, have in the open with w- everybody. Would you, you like know, to I say think, his I name the, and email address right now? Yeah, no, I don't think I would. <laughs> All right. <laughs> he wouldn't appreciate it. Okay. All right. I was just trying to help because it's got to get things out in the light. Yeah, no. Okay, you know what? He got it out in the light to the people that were relevant to him. Okay. (laughs) Are you saying I'm irrelevant? That's hurtful. I don't know. We're just not, you and I are maybe not as relevant to his life. You know what is relevant in this book? Cats Don't Bark. It's out now at every good, fine book retailer in the world. You've got a great picture in the back. Shane Hips. Thank you. That's you. Anything you'd you'd like to add to the audience? No, I just appreciate coming in. Thanks for the invitation. It's great to chat with you. Thanks for coming to the office. Absolutely. Good to to finally see you face-to-face and see your your new digs. Yeah. I dig it. I think it's great. It's exciting what you're up to. Oh, thank you. The last time we were together, or maybe it was every time, you make fun of my books. Like you made fun of my bookshelf. Yeah, yeah, because you have a bookshelf behind you every time we shoot, and that, or you you have like a video thing, and I can. It's like an intimidation factor, mm-hmm. and you just did it again to me. Like behind you is a wall of books. Really? Behind me is just like empty boxes. It's a whiteboard, and it's a perfect metaphor of like mm-hmm. you in trying to intimidate me. Did it work? though? Yeah, yeah. Of course, it's intimidating. Really? Also, you put me lower. Like my chair is lower. What than What if yours. I just did this? Like where now I'm yeah. like six inches above you. Does that help? It's it all. It's all the same. It's just no. very intimidating. What do you think I could do to kind of perpetuate the intimidation more? You've done it. You've got done big it. muscles, too. Okay. Those are right. scary. All right. That's judgmental. That's judgmental. That's judgmental. It's kind. Shane Hips, one of my favorite people in the world. Thank you, sir. Thanks, Luke. Good to be with you. Thanks for checking out Newsworthy with Norsworthy. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You are now adjourned.